Hi, this is Kara Zellers, and this is a Legal Close Vodcast, Simply Real Estate. I have attorney Richard Lawrence here, and today we're going to talk about post and pre-occupancy agreements. So what are post-closing and pre-closing occupancy agreements? So these are agreements that essentially come into play if a buyer needs to occupy the home prior to closing. That mm-hmm. would be a pre-closing occupancy agreement, right? It's pre-closing. It's before the before, closing. Yeah. And they want to occupy the residence. It happens in occasion where a buyer has sold another home and they don't have any other place to go. And they want to be able to move into a house before the actual physical closing date. So it's the pre-closing occupancy agreement that we would use in that situation. Obviously... It assumes the house is vacant. Obviously, Mm -hmm. if a seller is occupying, it's going to be hard for the buyer to occupy it. Although I have done pre-closing use agreements where they would allow the buyer to put their stuff in the garage or something along those lines and not occupy the house, but use a portion of it for storage. And then the buyers can go stay in a hotel if that were the case. Mm -hmm. On the flip side, a seller might want a post-closing occupancy agreement which allows them some flexibility if they're buying another house and that buy side isn't going to happen for another week or a month, Mm -hmm. then a seller will say, okay, buyer, I'm going to continue to stay in the house past the closing, a post-closing occupancy agreement, and it gives the seller some flexibility. Again, it also presupposes that the buyer doesn't have to move into the house immediately. Mm -hmm. So if it all lines up, those are the ways that we would use a pre-closing occupancy agreement and a post-closing occupancy agreement. What should buyers and sellers be aware of when agreeing to an occupancy agreement? Um, you know, it's it's almost it's <laughs> almost like a lease, so you really need to be mindful of right. who is maintaining the property during this occupancy period. So, first is the big thing is maintenance. Who's going to be responsible for what? Obviously, are any payment or considerations? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, is there a deposit that's going to be put down? I mean, there are some aspects of it that are like a lease. You're letting someone stay in the house that uh, in your house. So it, um, you know, it's one of those things where you want to have some protections. But at the same time, it's a little different than a lease because, let's say, in a pre-closing occupancy agreement, it's a buyer. It's it's a house that they're about to buy. Mm-hmm. So it's not like you're letting riffraff into the house. It's right. somebody who's literally going to buy the house to own maybe within a week or a month before. The same is true on the backside with a seller, right? If you've inspected the house and you're about to buy it and the seller says, I want another week or month, it's not like, again, you're letting somebody in someone there. Someone new, seller someone that's random. Already in yeah. there. So the risks become a lot smaller with these types of agreements. So they're not as dense as a true residential con- uh, lease contract in that way. But you still do have some basic thoughts, again, with respect to maintenance, who's going to maintain, Mm -hmm. if the pool pump goes out, the air condition goes out, who's responsible. So that would be set forth in the agreement. We talked about, is there going to be a deposit or is there going to be any rental period Mm -hmm. or payment during the period? Sometimes it's all based on the closing and what's happening. And so that kind of takes care of the consideration. So, But sometimes I see deposits just for some protections. Um, and the last thing is just making sure that you you know you have insurance on your contents if you're the one that has your contents there, or you have insurance on the structure if you're the one that will be the owner during the period. Um, those are kind of the basics of it. And um, you know, again, we don't like to use them for more than maybe say three months. It really should just be that small window of time to give the parties flexibility before the closing. Or after the closing to have wiggle room should one of them need a place to yeah, stay. Yeah, help someone out. 
Exactly. So we try to keep the agreement short and sweet. And again, because they're parties that are either going to own the home or that have owned the home and are just needing to stay a little longer, the de- the document density, I mean, it's like a couple pages as opposed to a full-blown lease, mm-hmm. which might have obviously, you know, more uh, provisions and complexities. Right, a little more, yeah, complex. Obviously, you know, default prov- remedies and things about what happens when things don't go so well. But in a short-term relationship with parties that have a really good interest in the property or that to maintain it, it's usually there's it's safe to use it's a safe and good. document yeah. to get it done. But that's why we would use them. And, and those are kind of the things that parties need to be aware of. Perfect. Well, thank yes, you, Richard. Absolutely. Thank you guys for tuning in with us today. You can check us out on LegalClothes.com, Instagram, or Spotify. And we look forward to seeing you at the next episode. Thank you.